walk us through your value prop and how you work with CEOs and others, um, just on how you work with others. Okay, thank you. Uh, value proposition, uh, the, the short form on that, I'll give you that and then I'll help you understand how that was formed. Sure. Is learning in the moment of need. Now, again, those words mean a lot to me, but without some uh, definition, they probably don't mean much to anybody else. But as I work with CEOs, as my partner and others who are part of our organization helping coach CEOs, what we're interested in doing is finding out what their current and most pressing need is, what's keeping them up at night. And we want to move directly to helping them uh, solve that need. Um, to, to make that more specific, uh, I, I like to tell the story about a phone call I had a number of years ago with a, a friend at the Harvard Business School, uh, Clayton Christensen. Uh, you may be aware of, of Clay. He sure, was yeah. a professor there in the business school. He's since passed on, but uh, he did, he, he wrote one of the real business classics of all time, Innovator Dilemma, and a number of derivations off of that topic. Uh, as he would speak around the country on this topic, he would say, if you ever find the disruptive technology to MBA education, please let me know because you'll put me out of business. And he would talk a lot about that. And so I called him and I said, hey, I have it. And he said, oh, well, tell me what it is. And I said, well, let me start with a question for you, Clay. Did you take uh, calculus for economists? And he said, oh, sure. And I said, yeah, I did too. I said, do you use that? And he said, well, no, I can't say that I do. And I said, I don't either. And in the world of lean thinking, that's waste. Uh, it's wasteful to have spent time and money on something we don't use. And I said, I'm not knocking a broad general education. I have an MBA myself and a lot of general education. But when I'm working with clients, I don't want to try to impress them with the breadth of my education, but rather zeroing in on what their need is right now and helping them find answers to that. And in saying that, I'm not implying that myself or my, my business partner or others that work with us have all the answers. We have what I call the right questions. In fact, the, the, our mantra for that, if you will, is we're not here to answer your questions. We're here to question your answers. And so in that questioning mode, we, we figure out what that need is. And then that may be something that's in our wheelhouse that we can help with. It may not be. But one of the things that I've developed over the past 31 years has been a number of great connections with others who are experts in a variety of things that I am not an expert in. So that if I find a need that I don't have something that I can immediately address myself, I can move them to somebody else. And so I've built what I call our faculty, which help us draw on the expertise of others to help them solve their problems, to help those, those uh, small company CEOs solve their problems. As a result of that, that value proposition, learning in the moment of need, uh, as you might imagine, the needs change over time, but we keep coming back to the question, okay, uh, the world of running a business is kind of whack-a-mole. Uh, uh, we whacked one and we, we fixed it, but the next one popped up. What's your next need? What's the next thing that keeps you up at night? 
and how can we help you solve that? And so as a result, our average client tenure over the 31 years, we've averaged about 11 years with our clients. Wow. And often uh, the way we, we lose them is we help them sell their businesses and they move on. We do have, however, some uh, multi-generational businesses in, in the room uh, where the former CEO has retired, sold business, and the, the newcomer has stayed with us as well. So uh, that's, that is the, the value proposition, Jeff, to identify needs and to help our clients solve them. No, make, makes total sense. I'm curious, though, to get your thoughts on continuous learning, because when you're, you get busy, and, and especially if something is working in your business and you're making money, sometimes it's really challenging to take time out of your busy day to learn something new or try something new. So how do you work with companies and individuals to actually maybe get them to step back a little bit and say, you know what, like, sure, you're successful here, but you know, there's this other thing that you maybe need to work on or, or learn more about because you're actually losing money here. Uh, yeah, again, great question. Um, I think we can all get uh, kind of anesthetized, if you will, to the fact that, hey, I'm doing fine. Uh, why do I need anything else? One thing that we have developed over the years is what I call our business success pyramid, where this becomes kind of a broad agenda of questions that we can talk to the client about. Uh, if, if you can imagine, of course, I, I don't have the graphic put in front of you, but if you can imagine that pyramid, at the top of the pyramid is that every business wants to make money. Uh, I don't care if you're a not-for-profit organization, you still have to pay attention to the financial. So that is, is critical. It's the top of the pyramid. The reason we show it that way, though, is that it is the ultimate lagging indicator of success. And so as you talk about, uh, hey, we're doing fine, one of the questions that I always ask is, fine's fine, but let's take a look at, at how you're doing relative to the industry. We'll do some oh, comparatives to your competition. Let's, let's look at uh, your your PL, your balance sheet, your cash flow statements, your cash conversion cycle are the places where we can help you with uh, the Japanese word is continuous improvement. So we can look at that. But again, remember that's the top of the pyramid. That's the ultimate lagging indicator. So then we also talk about the next level of questioning is okay, if you want to improve your financial outcomes, how well are you doing with your customer? Uh, are they loyal? Uh, are you always churning? And, and uh, is there a way that we can increase the amount of financial return from each customer? What is your value proposition to help them create a financial outcome? So the leading indicator for financial outcomes is what we do for our customers. And so we spend time asking questions at that level. The next level down is operations. The operations create the customer outcomes. So where the customer outcomes are a leading indicator for financial outcomes. They are a lagging indicator for how, what we do in our operation. We do a lot of discussion questioning on lean thinking. What are your uh, key performance indicators? How do we improve both efficiency and effectiveness, effectiveness in, in uh, delivering to the value proposition? Uh, below that, 
Then we look at the people issues. Are your people highly competent in delivering the operational outcomes that you need? And are they highly engaged? And you need both that level. You need people that are, are obviously very skilled at what they do, but if they're not highly engaged, you're not getting everything you need. On the other hand, if they're highly engaged, but they're not competent, uh, you may have a, a nice party going on, but you're not creating outcomes. So that level on our pyramid drives operational outcomes, which drive customer outcomes, which drive financial outcomes. Finally, at the base of the pyramid is recruitment. Uh, we're finding right now that many of our clients are saying, as we're coming out of the pandemic, we need help on recruiting people in, getting ourselves ripped up again. Give us a good recruitment model. One of the things that I've been able to do with the now almost 50 years in business, uh, 31 again in, in CEO builder, but I've been able to work with some of the top recruiters in the country. And we've developed our own hybrid model of great recruitment tools to help get the right people on the bus so that we can then build them into the competent and engaged people that you need who will deliver operational outcomes, customer outcomes, and financial outcomes. And finally, overarching all of this, and we show this as a big circle engulfing all of that period, is company vision. How are you as a CEO, a great visionary, to uh, be able to evangelize that value proposition to to bring excitement and energy to your people every day. Uh, Michael Gerber in the email talks about uh, on the business versus in the business. Visioning is one of those critical CEO elements of working on the business so that you're in the business, people will be inspired and will help make great things happen. So uh, that's kind of an involved answer to your question. But uh, as, as we look at it, this provides us with again, a, a broad model of asking good questions and coaching our CEOs to success. No, I, I think that makes a lot of sense. I'm curious, you touched on something that I think like you mentioned, a lot of companies are struggling with right now or, or will once kind of everything gets back to somewhat of a new kind of normal is, sure, you can spend a bunch of time recruiting good people but how do you make sure that you you actually recruit these good people, keep them engaged and make sure they're competent to the three things in your pyramid? Because I think now you're going to, as a CEO or, or somebody in, in management, employees are going to probably demand a bunch more freedom. And I think the better employees or the better performers are going to probably be able to actually get some of those freedoms if you don't allow them your potential competition will allow them and what i mean by freedoms is maybe not working nine to five or maybe working remote full time or part of the time or or other things like that what are your thoughts around uh that uh that is a huge contemporary issue it, it's hot right now it, it's so very important uh because of what we've been through the last year, many, many have uh, become fairly adept at working on their own and they appreciate the additional freedom of doing that. And so bringing them into an existing organization that maybe hasn't moved their mindset to how do we uh, not only allow this, but take advantage of it and make it work. Uh, this becomes so very, very critical. 
uh, I, I read articles earlier this morning from, uh, I believe, Forbes and the Harvard Business Review on this very issue. And, and basically, they're saying, hey, companies, you better figure this out. Otherwise, uh, you're going to find people that either don't want to come on board with you or won't last long because if you try to bring them into the old traditional nine to five at the office without some flexibility, you're going to have problems. We are actually working, my, my business partner is a, is a technology guru expert, and we're working right now because, of course, prior to, to COVID, uh, we were holding live forums and face-to-face -face coaching with everybody. Uh, we immediately had to adapt to using Zoom and virtual approaches so that we could connect. And what we found is it's actually broadened and increased our appeal uh, beyond uh, our local markets to all over the country and even globally. We're beginning to talk to people outside the country. So in a lot of ways, it's been beneficial. We're now getting some pressure from our appropriate pressure from local clients saying, hey, when do we go back to face-to-face? Uh, most of us have been vaccinated. We're, we're getting ready uh, to, uh, we want so desperately to be back face-to-face -face with each other. But if we don't understand that we also have that, that audience that is beyond our borders, uh, we will contract as a business rather than grow. So my business partner is tasked with the idea of creating a hybrid model that allowed us to go back to live forums and also have people connecting by virtue of uh, Zoom or other platforms so that they participate. And, and we have to make sure that that doesn't make them feel like a second-class citizen. They have to be fully engaged. So we're going through that ourselves as a business relative to our clients. We also believe that our clients are going to need this very much as they begin to recruit new people or, or bring people back into their organization. Uh, and we hope that maybe we can contribute something in terms of the technologies and the approaches that they can use. All of that said, we do come back to our core model of saying, make sure that you, you understand that recruitment is such a vital issue for you. Too often, what I've found small businesses especially is, uh, boy, if you part your hair right or you smile at me, uh, you're my guy. Uh, for whatever the position is. I had a client not too long ago brought me three resumes and he said, uh, Rich, pick the one that I should hire. And I said, uh, I wouldn't hire any of them. He said, but you haven't looked at them yet. And I said, did you use a, a careful vetting process to get these three people? And he said, no, I ran an ad and these are three that replied and I just want to hire a salesman. And I said, I, I think this is a terrible recruitment process. You need to be more deliberate and less decisive on this. The old uh, axiom has been hire slow, fire fast. And I said, I, I imagine you're going to have the experience of hiring one of these guys and you will fire them. And he did. Literally within 90 days, the guy was gone. I said, you know, uh, you wasted time and money on something that was flawed to begin with. You need to have a solid process of recruitment. And, and again, with uh, coming out of the pandemic, that needs to broaden itself to how do we work with people that are probably going to be some mix of remote or on-site, maybe fully remote. How do we get the very best out of them? How do we define the competencies they need? And how do we get them and keep them fully engaged when they're not sitting in the office with us? I don't have all the answers to that. Again, our, our 
uh, stock and trade, if you will, or tool we use is to ask the questions. I think the answers to that are often customized to the needs of the given uh, client, uh, given company. But uh, I, I think we just have to not ignore this issue and, and walk into it with our eyes open and help one another uh, come to the, the new normal. Uh, hopefully the new normal doesn't include any more pandemics in our, our immortal lives here. Mm -hmm. But this one has introduced some new things that I think we, we can't ignore. We've got, we can't go back to just business as it was prior to COVID. Interesting. I, I'm curious then, what's your thought or what are you hearing from business owners around the traditional nine to five workday? Because if you're having people work remote now, or in different parts of the country, even if like everybody works nine to five, but they're spread out across the country or the globe, they're obviously not working the same your nine to five, right? Wherever you're geographically located. So what are your thoughts around that? Do you think it's going to change? Is it going to be a bit of a hybrid model or, or what have you kind of seeing? And I know it's kind of early on to maybe even give some predictions or thoughts, but is there anything that you've heard so far? Well, nothing terribly specific. And, and again, uh, one of the things I've learned over the years is that we can come up with some fairly standard answers on such issues, but you have to customize again. You have okay. to make it fit to each individual business. I, I would say this, just from my experience thus far, uh, we know that we're in the mountain time zone here, mountain daylight time now. Uh, for somebody back east, that's going to push them uh, for a morning a CEO forum that's going to push them later in the day. And so they're going to have to probably do more juggling of their standard uh, timing to fit our monthly forum in. Uh, for somebody on the West Coast, or uh, we haven't got anybody from Hawaii yet or somewhere in Asia, but it, it'll go the other direction. And I think one of the things that you have to have is a strong enough value proposition that they say, hey, it's it's something that I want to do. Now I'm talking from a customer perspective, but I think there's the internal value proposition for your, your uh, employees that says, hey, if I've got somebody in Asia, uh, they're gonna have to set their alarm clock. They're gonna have to make sure that they can get it in. Uh, that may demand that we push our meeting times to something different. Uh, and again, every, every uh, corporation I think is gonna have to recognize that we are more global than we've ever been and that that requires us to make some adjustments. We've recently had a fellow that we've done a little bit of coaching with out of Jerusalem and that we've had to both of us acknowledge that we've got to pay attention to the time clock and, and make it work. Sure. Well, and I also think too, yes, it, it can really change your perspective and, and things you need to do in your business, but if you were just doing stuff in North America, say, and now you have just opened up a global market because you figured out how to move whatever you're doing into that country, or maybe you can do it virtually, or you have software or something like that. If you just opened up a global market, and sure, you have to maybe make some time shifts around, you potentially can grow your business a lot bigger, obviously, with a global market, right? And you might have a global workforce. And just there's a lot of pros, I think that could come out of being more global? Yes, I, I think one of the challenges that I've seen with some of our clients, uh, with my own children, if you will, they're all adults now, uh, is 
we, we look at the glass half empty with all the, uh, how horrible this has been. And I, I don't downplay the fact that this has been terrible in the sense that we've lost lives and so forth, but it has created an extraordinary opportunity for so many of us. And we, we need to prepare ourselves, if, if we haven't already, to take full advantage of it and to recognize that, again, we're going to have a change here where uh, we can get back to more normal living, but let's not lose the advantages that we've created. You know, I, I don't want to slam the door on relationships that we built uh, beyond the borders of Utah. Uh, I told my wife when I started this the lifestyle business that when the kids were all grown, I wanted to grow this into something far greater. And uh, to a certain extent, it became, well, uh, how do you do that? Because you, you put barriers on you said, well, uh, it's a face-to-face -face business. I, I actually had interest from people outside the state over the years. Uh, I'm reminded of a guy from Anchorage who called me and said, I want to be part of your forums and your coaching. Can you help me? And I said, well, we can do coaching over the phone at that point, uh, if that works for you. But for our forums, you have to fly down to Utah once a month. And he said, well, I'm out. Well, uh, he can be in now, but we don't want to lose that advantage. And again, as you were putting it, Kevin, uh, great opportunities that I think have grown out of this as well. But we need to see that glass is half full right now and, and move forward.